Rylan Styles from Rays Color Glasses joins me to talk about this Tampa Bay Rays team, getting you ready for 2019, coming off Blake Snell's Cy Young Award, the emergence of Austin Meadows, and what can happen to this team to make them win 90 games again, and can cast works a little more magic. Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now... Here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. All right, Ryland Stiles is here with us to talk the Tampa Bay Rays for the offseason overview show. This is a 90-win team last year that seemed to overachieve, and you're going to hear me say this more than once today. That team got better at the trade deadline by trading their ace away. What was kind of the expectations going into last season, and did they exceed them? Well, my expectations... You know, it's easy to kind of overreact to their offseason moves. If you go back to last season, they were DFAing their leading home run guy. They were trading away uh, Corey Dickerson and, and Logan Morrison and guys like that. And it kind of looked like, oh, here, here it comes again. The Rays are going to start selling off. They're not trying to compete. They're not going to try to win. But even after that wave of emotion and, that, and those waves of moves heading into spring training a year ago at this time, I still thought they're an 85-win ball club, 80-win ball club, somewhere in there, while Chris Mad Dog Russo was – saying how they're going to be terrible and how them and the Marlins should just be disbanded from baseball. I still thought this team was going to be pretty mediocre or even borderline good, but they by far exceeded expectations, especially when you mentioned that they got to the 90 games after trading Chris Archer. Yeah, that's what was the miraculous thing is that they trade away their ace and they got better. And we're going to talk about one of the moves that actually made them better along with the the assets acquired for Chris Archer, who happens that one of them happens to be one of my favorite players in baseball. But we'll talk about Tommy Pham later again. That was a huge, huge deal. Uh, let's start at the catching position. Speaking of trades, you trade Malik Smith, who looks like a promising outfielder. Looked like a promising outfielder, at least. And Jake Fraley to grab Mike Zanino. Zanino's obviously the catcher. Kind of what's the expectations for him this year, and what's the future behind him look like? Well, let's get the easiest part out of the way. The future behind him is bleak. I, I don't really see any major league talent at catcher coming down the pike. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't keep up with the minor leagues t- to the extent that I should, but just glancing at the list and, and doing some research that I've done, I don't think that they really have that, that staple catcher. I think it's going to be a lot of what we've seen recently, just uh, Wilson Ramos here and Mike Zanino there, and they're going to start piecing together that position for really the long haul. If you think about their whole existence, their 21 years of baseball, they've never had that true mainstay catcher who you know is going to be behind the dish for the next 10, 20 years. But for Mike Zanino, I think that his his expectation is going to be what he was last year, just a 200 hitter who's going to be very good behind the plate. He's going to, despite his average being 200, he's going to be very underrated and people are going to kind of overlook him. That's kind of how the the campaign of Zanino was good started in Seattle. He hit 200, excuse me, not 200, he hit 20 home runs last season. I think that he'll be a serviceable, uh, catcher but who's going to be hitting towards the bottom of the order maybe fifth or sixth at the max to try to kind of optimally value his uh offensive play and you know that's the thing about catcher though they don't have to hit you know 270 that's why when that's why when somebody like wilson ramos buster posey comes around they're such rare commodities honestly i mean you don't find catchers that do that obviously the rays had wilson ramos last year and sent him to philly what was kind of the thought with that move was it more just acquiring assets from the phillies or was or do you think it was more the front office 
knowing that he wasn't going to be here for the next couple years considering the deal. Yeah, I think it's just the front office. I think that they they thought, well, you know, he's he's a quality catcher. There's there's no doubt about that, but he's also not a prime Buster Posey. So on top of not wanting to pay him and his ability not being the top high end of catchers in the sense of a, a Salvador Perez or a Buster Posey, you might as well move him because of how easily replaceable he is with Mike Zanino. We've seen this front office replace guys like Wilson Ramos or Logan Morrison with guys like CJ Crone. They come in, have a career year, then they're gone. And so they're really good at kind of flipping, buying, trading, selling guys and getting the same production that they had. I mean, they're the Oakland A's of the East. I mean, they <laughs> they make with what they have, and I'm sure I won't make that comparison less than two more times, but they they do what they they do the most with what they have. They don't try to spend a ton of money. You know, um, I really wanted, as a Red Sox fan, unfortunately, I like when good teams get better. I really wanted them to go out and sign Marwin Gonzalez, but it's not in the cards. I mean, Marwin Gonzalez wants too much money for that organization. Was there ever a thought of possibly the thinking that the Rays were going to bring him in? Yeah, you know, the front office, you know, we have a ton of money to spend being the, the Rays. They have a ton of money that they can spend technically before they hit the tax threshold and this, that, and the third. But at the end of the day, sure, they could throw money at Bryce Harper or Manny Machado or even, you know, guys like Marlon Gonzalez or, or, uh, any of those guys in the free agent pool, sure they can throw money at Dallas Keuchel, but who's going to pick the Rays? Players can talk all they want about how the free agent system is broken, but until a guy like Bryce Harper passes up an offer from somewhere else to come play in Tampa Bay, there's not really much that the Rays front office can do, even with their money to spend, and they have a quality team on the field. They're not the Marlins who are just, you know, obviously selling their assets and not bringing anything in and also not trying to compete, despite what Jeter says. They're they're winning and trying to win, but they're also realistic and they know that they're not going to get the Harpers, Machados, Keikels, or any free agent really with any substance to them. And you know, we think that it would change. I think everybody thought it would change a long time ago in 2003 or whenever A-Rod signed with Texas. You think that it would kind of change that a little bit, you know, not not that Dallas is a or Arlington to say is a smaller market, but it was a smaller team. It's not one of the big wig teams that people are like, oh, I want to go to Boston. I want to go to New York. I want to go to San Francisco, places like that. I thought that that contract, looking back in retrospect, would change something like that for the smaller market teams. But it, it just I don't think it'll ever change, honestly. I think that, you know, like you said, Texas isn't exactly, you know, that small ish market. I think if Bryce Harper were to go to Tampa Bay, that would be the only thing that can change it, and that's never going to happen. Even if Bryce Harper, like Hosmer, who was not the the statue free agent that Harper is, but even if Bryce Harper went to San Diego, they that's not very you know unique or so to say that's not very revolutionary because sure the Padres aren't winning right now, but like the Rays, they have some of the best they have the best farm system in baseball or you know top five at least. The Rays have that as well, and they have a 91 ball club on the field, but they play in Tampa Bay. Bryce Harper's going to pick to go to San Diego rather than Tampa Bay. Tampa gets kind of, uh, you know, put behind the eight ball by where they play in, in the state of Florida and also, you know, just where they play, their stadium is at in Tampa. It's not very accessible to fans. And the kind of argument to that, though, would be if they got Bryce Harper, fans would come. So who's going to start at first base this year? Yandy Diaz, in the limited at-bats that he had, hit really well. Is it is it Yandy Diaz? Who's the current at first base and who's the future? Well, it's hard for me not to put Yandy Diaz, Yandy Diaz into that slot 
because you gave away the future at first base in Jake Bowers to get this man. But if you speak in terms of production and in terms of who would be better, it'd be Cho. And he was incredible last year. And I apologize. I don't think I said his name right, but he would be a better option to play there if he can extrapolate that 190 at-bats he had last year for a 263 average and 10 home runs. If he can do that over the course of a year, I think he, he's the better option this year to try to win now than Diaz. But I also think that the front office and, and Kevin Cash and those guys are going to value Diaz more and play him more because you simply do not give up a Jake Bowers for this guy and not not put him in the big leagues and not give him the everyday run. You have to have some sort of belief in him if you're going to give away Jake Bowers. Yeah, well, from from the outside, you know, I was kind of looking at it and when everything kind of went down, I was like, okay, Bowers is is a part of this system and he's going to be a part of this Rays system for a while. But that's not how the Rays function. I mean, once they don't think that you have any use for them at that point, they're going to flip you. And that's not the that's not the only person that that's happened to. They thought that they could upgrade and I they think I think that they think they did. Yeah, and that's this case though was surprising to me even for the Rays because of the fact that they only gave him a year. He was great when they first called him up, very good player. Then he tailed off in the second half and immediately in the offseason they shipped him away and that was very surprising how quickly they got him out of there cuz you know like you said they do flip guys a lot but this was relatively early for a guy. Yeah, that was it it kind of makes you raise an eyebrow and wonder if something happened or whether it was just purely performance based, but it was definitely weird. Uh, let's shift over. I mean, I guess we could talk about Nathaniel Lowe if you have anything to say on him. I think Nathaniel Lowe is just a guy that's very, very much hyped up by the race fans and race fans want to see him. I just, you know, I think that there's not very much room for him. You can't take away Wendell's playing time. He was incredible last year. You're not going to take away Willie Davis's playing time. And then Matt, only guy that can, you can see being moved, but he's so consistent that you might not want to take him away on a team that's trying to compete and not trying to grow and develop. We're doing that as little as they can because they do have major league guys like Duffy, Fam, Kiermaier, Zanino, you know, guys like that who can kind of ease the load for these young guys like Willie and Wendell. But, I mean, he's just got such a talent that maybe you do have to sacrifice the everyday professional hitter in Matt Duffy and get, give the young kid a shot. Let's go to second base. If I, you know, did a, you know, one of those blind player tests and I told somebody that I have a, I have a second baseman uh, that, that had a 487 ABs, hit 300, and had a 4.2 war last year, I think anybody in baseball would take him. Joey Wendell is 1,000% underrated as a baseball player, in my opinion. Yeah, he doesn't have the name recognition. He doesn't have the face recognition. I mean, if you look at him, he looks like he's just been a created player from the the show with just, generic, with just generic settings on top of him. But in a shallow position, which so this isn't saying much, but he is one of the best second basemen in all of baseball, and he can do it in the field and, as you mentioned, can do it at the plate as well. Yeah, no, he's like if – if I sat here and told you name the top eight, uh, top ten second baseman in baseball, I think he's in the top seven. Yeah, he's for sure top ten. I, yeah, I, I think, oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think you can make a case for him being top five if you really wanted to, but that would take him really having the same year or even a better one in twenty nineteen. I th- I think he's gonna go up in twenty nineteen too. That's the thing. I think he's just gonna get better. I mean, twenty eight years old, which. 
I mean, yeah, it's funny looking at that. It kind of reminds me of what Merrifield with the Royals, who you know just sp- sprayed onto the scene at age twenty-five, late bloomer. Have, yeah, he they were just late bloomers. You usually see guys come up at nineteen, twenty years old who are just these wonders, you know, as a as a young guy. But Wendell came up as a young guy who, as a race fan last year, excuse me, as an old guy, as a race fan last year, whenever he did get called up. I kind of blew it off. I got the notification as we all do nowadays in 2018 and 2019. I just got the notification. It's like, ah, eh, no big deal. You know, he'll play some. He won't really be a mainstay here with Tampa Bay. And then he did that. And so it kind of caught my attention right there. So let's talk about Brandon Lowe, uh, one of the 85 lows on this roster, which uh, in this organization, which is one of the wilder things that I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, no relation either. Yeah, no, that, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Like, ugh, it drives me nuts. I saw it, and it's bothered me ever since I've seen it too. Uh, yeah, I, you... I don't like the repeating last names on teams because then you got to you got to worry about the uh, first initial. And you yeah, it's like the Morris twins so at Kansas when they had to put like three letters in front of their names. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah, though, that was even worse because it was Markeith oh, yeah. and Mar uh, and Marcus. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's so bad. Like, just put their entire names. Yeah. Uh, so what can you say about Brandon Lowe? Does he have a future in this organization? I know Joey Wendell's 28 years old, but still has some RB years left. Does he fit yeah. anywhere on this roster? Again, it's, it's kind of like the other, well, where can you, where can you get him in? Because you're not taking away Willie's playing time. That's for sure. And he's a middle infield guy. I think he's, he's a guy where you could flip him if you wanted to. If if this team has what it takes at the deadline, where last year you were selling, if this year you see it before the deadline that this team's going to be pretty good, you could flip him and try to get something in return and, and kind of get a, a Johnny Cueto-type player, obviously not in 2019, but as the Royals did in 2015, trade for Johnny Cueto, trade for Brandon Zo- uh, Ben Zobrist, and have those guys push you into the playoffs and maybe even a World Series. Let's not get crazy, though. But I just I think that his value comes with on the trade market more so than actually playing, and that's no fault to his own. He's a really good player. It's just that the Rays are just too deep at every position right now, which is something weird to say. Well, and he's one of those guys that you could use as a piece for in trade to a struggling organization when it comes to prospect wise, like a Detroit who only has you know two or three in the top one hundred and has Michael Fulmer, who could definitely help this team. When we get to the starting oh, yeah. pitching, we'll talk about that. I mean, Michael's a talent on his own. But shortstop, another another guy that just had a rookie year. He kind of bounced back and forth a little bit between Durham and Tampa Bay. Willie Adamas has had a pretty good year considering all the movement that he had. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that if Hetcher Verrier wasn't there at all and he got to play consistently and didn't have to worry about going back up and down from the minor leagues to the major leagues, he would have had an even better year. And his year last year was amazing. He was electric. And he's one of the young stars in this game that I think if the Rays find a way to make themselves relevant to the national audience and get themselves on a few Saturday night baseball games, get themselves into the postseason, he can turn into a Javi Baez in terms of person. He's hilarious. He's out there. He's wild. He's electric on the field playing-wise. And also just his personality is as well. So I really am rooting for him to continue his success last year and also get some more team success and put him on a grander stage because we need more guys like that in baseball. Yeah, you know, you just talked about how how he's one of the young stars in this game. I think there's another one in the outfield that and we'll get to in a while talking about Austin Meadows about, you know, just getting the, the at-bats, getting the time, having stability at your position and not having to worry about, do I have a job today? I think that will help not only Willie, but I think it'll help Austin too. 
Uh, we just talked about Willie being one of the young stars in this game, but it, one of the one of the younger stars. I mean, we're talking 17 years old who has a possibility to be even better than pretty much anybody in the system. I mean, if you want to throw him up there with Blake Snell, on obviously. He's the number 13 prospect in baseball, and he's 17 years old. Kind of give us the rundown on Wander Franco. Well, Franco, I mean, it, it, the, everyone kind of says this. It's kind of like the the default answer whenever they talk about a prospect. The prettiest swing in baseball, he truly does have one of the prettiest swings I've ever seen. There's videos of him at Winter Ball just you know, obviously playing baseball and swinging the bat, and they put it in slow motion. And I watched that thing maybe about 500 times minimum. He's just incredible when he swings the bat, and he's only 17 years old, as you mentioned. I just, I cannot wait for him to get up to the big leagues. I think that he has some of the most promise that the race have ever seen, and this is an organization built on prospects. The year they went to the World Series, the year that they, any time that they've ever been a quality team has been based on prospects and guys you've waited on and guys that you've kind of just watched in Durham and, and waited for them to get to Tampa Bay. So this team has a long line of prospects. He might be the best one they've ever had, and this organization has had a plenty of them. So I think that says a lot for what he can be and what he should be if everything goes right. I mean, this is a this is an organization that took David Price number one overall. And we saw how he moved. You know, you had Evan Longoria come up through the system. So that's saying a lot when you talk about a guy that highly. And I think that also we talk about this with a lot of other professional athletes. He's the nephew of Eric Ibar, who, you know, casual baseball fans might not have that name pop out to them, but it's a leader who played many, many years in the big leagues and carried himself very well and knew the grind it takes. And he can, he can have a huge impact on Franco's career, teaching him and maturing him at 17 years old. What if he gets called up at 18, 19 years old, he's going to need that mentor and Ibar can be giving him those, those tips and tricks and everything to go along with it. We we've seen it. We've seen it happen. I mean, we saw uh, twice with the nationals in the past 10 years. I mean, think about it. Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, both, both 19 year olds playing baseball at that young of an age. It's it's not just absolutely taboo anymore. I mean, people do it. Some organizations don't seem to care about service, care about service time. If the kid is that good and you think that he can help your team, absolutely, why not? And obviously, having that person in the family that played baseball, look at it. Tatis, Guerrero. I mean, we could yeah, we could I talk think, about him all day. I think if the Rays think he's ready to play, they'll call him up anytime. This year, next year, the year after. As soon as they think he's ready, they're going to call him up because service time for the Rays, they're never going to have they're never going to have Bryce Harper money. They're never going to. So it doesn't matter if you delay him until next year or the year after. At any point when he becomes eligible for that huge deal and he becomes a free agent, he's going to have to pick you because you're not going to be able to outbid anybody. So service time isn't going to really help the Rays in the sense of financially. So all you're doing is delaying the inevitable. This team is good enough right now. So if he can help now, I don't think he'll be able to. He's only 17. But if he could help, you got to get him up. Yeah, and I, I think that every dream has to, for small markets to sign a big free agent or retain a big name. It's even Eric Hosmer didn't pick the Royals. And the Royals had an Eric Hosmer day the first day he was in the big leagues. The very first day, his big league debut, they dubbed it Eric Hosmer day and had bobbleheads ready to go, shirts ready to go. They loved him from the time he got up to the time he left and he still picked San Diego. And he doesn't owe the Royals anything, and he, he made the right decision, I think, because the Padres are in a much better position to win, and they were that offseason as well. So I'm not begrudging him, but I'm saying is just is just small markets cannot worry about 
arbitration and service time. They have to get guys up and have to start winning because that, that Royals window shut quickly. Hosmer, Moose, all those guys were in that system for a long time. Kane and Eski, all those guys were there for a long time, and it shut on them in two years. It's actually pretty insane. I mean, a guy like Ben Zobris, too. I mean, obviously yeah. a Tampa Bay product, but he was also in that Royals, those Royals yeah, system. And, and Ben Zobris is another one who picked Chicago over the Royals that offseason. He named his daughter Royal after the Kansas City Royals, and they still were outbid. There's nothing you can do as a small market. You just have to get a guy who loves you like Salvador Perez loves Kansas City. You have to get a guy who loves your organization, who loves your city, and who wants to stay there. They just want to. And you you had it for a while in Evan. Yeah, the organization just shipped him off last offseason, and they still had him under control. He, he signed a team-friendly deal to start, and then it got kind of less friendly as the years go on to this year and next year. He picked Tampa Bay. They got lucky that he picked Tampa Bay, but he picked Tampa Bay. It was nothing that the Rays did, though, to outbid anyone. He just liked the Rays. He liked the organization. He stuck with them, and he became the face of Rays baseball. Let's go ahead and go to the outfield now. Uh, actually, we just completely skipped Matt Duffy, which is, <laughs> well, that's is, kind of... is honestly ironic as hell because that's what baseball does. Why doesn't anybody love Matt Duffy the way that we seem to look at him at this point? I mean, again, like Joey Wendell, one of the more consistent players in baseball. I mean, even even while he was in San Francisco, he gets the playing time in Tampa. and He's probably one of the best. Yeah, I, I want to say this on the front end. Rays, some Rays fans do love him, but in general, Rays fans are kind of eh on Matt Duffy. He's a very good player. There's un, That's undoubtable that he's a very good player, but some race fans are just kind of tired of him, as weird as that sounds. He's played, you know, he's had over 1,000 at-bats in Tampa Bay, and they kind of see these young guys in the system and kind of keep trying to nudge him out, and yet he still stays there. He still is productive. I love Matt Duffy, and again, there's a section of race fans who do love Matt Duffy, but to your point of being overlooked, even some Rays fans overlook him and say, well, we got to upgrade Matt Duffy. We need to upgrade at third base. We need to upgrade in the infield Matt Duffy. No, you don't. He's a very, very good player. And I think that Matt Duffy's part of why the Rays felt comfortable off of um, Evan Longoria's contract last year, shipping him to San Francisco. And then what they got back, though, was Christian Arroyo, a third base prospect who everyone, as soon as that move happened, named the next Longoria. So now they're trying to kind of fast track him to the big leagues, even though he's not shown to be ready about the major league level and kind of move Duffy out of the way. So even Rays fans, to an extent, overlook Matt Duffy. And so that kind of just goes across baseball and Tampa Bay. It seems like even the Rays, like you just said, are kind of fast tracking Arroyo trying to kind of nudge Duffy a little bit. I mean, if you're Matt Duffy, how do you handle that? <laughs> you know, there's another cop-out to use here. He's just a professional. I, I, Matt Duffy doesn't care if he's playing in Tampa Bay, Kansas City, Boston, New York. He just wants to play baseball. I don't think this, I don't think this kind of stuff gets to him. There are some players it does for sure. I think Matt Duffy is not one of those guys. He's just a, a head-down kind of guy, a hard-working kind of guy. I, I think that your point is correct for most guys, but for Matt Duffy, I don't think he really cares where he plays. If it's in Tampa, great. If it's not, oh well. You have guys that are just consummate professionals. Though. I mean, you can kind of look all around the league. Uh, we could talk about somebody like Elvis Andrus. I mean, yeah. again, it's one of those situations. I story. Elvis. He, Elvis is amazing. He's also extremely underrated at the position yeah. right next to Duffy. I mean, but a guy that I don't that I think handles his business doesn't let people get to him. And the best uh, the best way to put that in terms of people, Adrian Beltre. I mean, oh yeah, Beltre did everything possible 
in the most professional way. And that's uh, that was one of the big reasons that everybody in baseball seemed to love him once he finally got the recognition that he deserved. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. That's that's kind of the poster child for a professional. And, you know, going back to Elvis Andrews, it's kind of funny that he's the exact same guy at the major league level that he was at the minor league level. I was lucky enough that at the time, the, the Rangers owned the AAA rights to Oklahoma City. So I saw him, Kinsler, Cruz, all those guys come up to the minor leagues, and they were just the same there as they were whenever they won the World Series, uh, went to the World Series, excuse me. Uh, sadly lost it both times this is one of my favorite outfields in baseball i don't know if like i actually i don't know if it's a good thing that i love this team as much as i do being a Sox fan it's like it's kind of weird dave calls me a traitor every now and then because i'll say something about austin meadows he goes we're not supposed to like them i'm like i don't know what to tell you like austin meadows is the most likable person i've ever seen whether he was in pittsburgh whether he was in tampa He's going to be a star once he gets consistent at bats, in my opinion. I think all the all the frame is there. I think the talent's there. What's kind of the feel with Austin Meadows in Tampa right now? Well, first off, first off, it's funny that you mentioned that about how you're not supposed to like the Rays because I think everyone kind of has a team like that. I mean, I hate the Cardinals, but there's something about watching the Cardinals on TV that just They're feels like baseball. It's <laughs> it just feels form. right. Exactly. It just feels right to be watching Cardinal baseball, although I hate the team and I hate their fan base. It just feels good to watch the Cardinals. Make you have a, a nice, warm feeling, a nice Cardinals-Cubs series. Oh, nothing better. All right, so Tommy Pham, there was a big, that was one of the more underrated moves. We're using that word a lot, but it applies. I mean, I... I think it. everything in Tampa Bay is underrated. Literally, I, like I think some people forget they exist sometimes, and that's <laughs> that's the funny thing. So you obviously until they use an opener strategy and then everyone hates them. We're gonna we're gonna get to that because I want to talk about that. That's so you get you grab Tommy Pham for your number fourteen and twenty five and another prospect, and Tommy Pham, another one of those guys that just kind of flies under the radar when it comes to good you know consistent baseball players. Like when you look at this outfield. Where do you think it ranks in baseball? Because I think it's definitely, again, like in the top seven or even top five if we're talking defense defense alone. Yeah, I think it can be top five overall if Meadows steps up at the plate. And Absolutely. It's hard to say step up because he hasn't had the chance. But if he can be productive at the plate, then you have two guys at the corner that can play very well on both sides of the ball. And then you have Kiermaier, who might be the best defensive outfielder in baseball. So averaging out, although he's not productive at the plate, Kiermaier, but averaging both sides of the ball if if Meadows can be a quality player in that lineup they're going to have one of the best outfields in all of baseball like you said at least top 5 but to to your point about Tommy Pham he was an underrated move you know by most people he was very good last year he was the best player on the Rays and, and a very huge reason as to why they got to the 90 win watermark but then the offseason came and he kind of said some stuff yeah <laughs> and kind of opinions kind of turned on on fam but i think that that'll all be washed away come opening day whenever he's you know hitting for a 300 average and popping out 20 home runs and a few rbis winning cures everything and i mean i think the best comparison for this and i know that like i've gone this long without mentioning his name and the audience is going to love me for that because usually it takes me about five seconds before I mention Andrew Benintendi's name. But this Re- <laughs> this Rays outfield reminds me a lot of that Sox outfield minus an MVP candidate to uh, like like Mookie Betts. Honestly, he's I mean he's the MVP. Uh, you know you have yeah. a young stud at one of the corner outfield positions in Andrew Benintendi slash Austin Meadows. You have 
two two of the top maybe three or four uh, defensive center fielders in baseball who can't seem to look, figure out how to hit again, which in JBJ yeah. and Kevin Kiermaier, if they could ever learn how to hit, those two teams would be absolutely unstoppable. And yeah. then you have a guy like Tommy Pham who, if he can just straighten it out and just be the baseball player he knows he can be, this, this outfield could be absolutely ridiculous, and this team could win way more games than they did last year. Yeah, and I think... You know, to the Rays' credit, though, they, they've been very, even while winning 90 games and trying to get to the playoffs, they've been very patient with Kiermaier, not in the sense of benching him. You're not going to take away that glove out of the out of your outfield, especially in the division and in the ballparks you play in throughout the entire AL with the extra hitter and all that. But in terms of lineup positioning, he's been a steady two guy in the lineup, a steady leadoff to somewhere in that top half of the order, even with his constant struggles. And that's maddening at times whenever you're a Rays fan watching him night in, night out. But that also, if he's a guy that's like what we're talking about with Matt Duffy, if he's a guy that that kind of stuff weighs on him and you see that your manager keeps having the confidence in you, maybe you can turn it around here in the near future, just seeing how much confidence your organization has in you. And let's, I've never actually been able to say this on the podcast. Can we talk about how good the center fielders in the AL East are real quick? I mean, if we're talking defensive center fielders last year, I know Jones is moving, and I know Hicks is moving, but you have well, Kevin. Well, maybe Jones. Yeah, maybe Jones. Like, I don't understand what's going on there, but whatever with that. Uh, you have Kevin Pillar, Aaron Hicks, Jackie Bradley Jr., Adam Jones, Kevin Kiermaier. There's not a division in baseball. I don't think you could put together five center fielders in baseball that are better than those five. Yeah, it'd be tough to do. I mean, it may be really tough to do. I think that they are just loaded. I think this whole division as a whole is the most exciting division. Once the Blue Jays call up Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and and yeah, once they call up their guys, they're not going to win in terms of playoff contention. But you got four very, very, very good teams who are battling it out and exciting, and then Baltimore (laughs) and Baltimore. Who's probably going to lose? Well, I mean, it. even in the East, you have even in the NL East, you have the the Marlins. So. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, every you know, like right now, it's Texas in the in the West. You know, yeah. Everybody's going to have that team. Uh, we not saying that we don't appreciate the Orioles, by the way, because we love the wins. We love the wins. So oh yeah, we love it. We would the we would be wins. heartbroken if they ever got good again. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, especially in Tampa Bay. I mean, they won 90 games last year, and you're a Red Sox fan, so you remember yeah. the, the month of April whenever the Red Sox and Rays played like every other week, the Rays lost some heartbreaking games. I'm still mad Red at Joe Sox. Kelly for opening day. So, <laughs> yeah, still mad. That was a heartbreaker. But, but <laughs> I mean, so those numbers, even if, if they could have gotten going in April, those numbers could have been even better. It could have been. I mean, uh, let's, let's go ahead and talk about Austin Meadows one more time. Not particularly the player let's talk about the trade that got him uh what was your initial reaction to this trade because it is an awesome trade because you normally a player to be named later is an absolute you know just kind of throw in it's a nobody you had shane baz like what you get glasnow you got meadows and you got baz that that's a haul right there yeah it was a very very good trade and again one that was kind of from the outside looking in, it was kind of met with, well, there goes the Rays being the Rays again in certain areas. But from my standpoint and from Rays fan standpoint, it was an awesome move because the writing is on the wall with Chris Archer. I mean, he's not the true ace that that you once thought you had and that he once was for a short period of time. He's always kind of been inconsistent and temperamental and kind of let the games get away from him. I mean, he's never had a sub-three ERA in his career. 
And last year in Pittsburgh, after the trade, he had a 4.3 RA, the same that he did in Tampa Bay, but and won the same number of games in Pittsburgh as he did in Tampa Bay, although I do not consider wins being a stat. But nonetheless, I mean, he's not been that top-of-the-line rotation guy that you thought that you were going to have. And then once Blake Snell stepped up and was who he was last year, and you kind of forecast him to continue that next year and years beyond, I just think that... Chris Archer, the the move was great. And then who you got was even better because as you mentioned, how much you love Austin Meadows, I love him that much as well. And I think even if it was a one-for-one swap, it was going to be a good deal. But then you throw in the player to be named later who turned into that great prospect. It was an awesome, awesome move. And for once, as a Rays fan, you thought you fleeced the other team instead of it being the other way around. Well, and you look at this trade and if you would have told me that, hey, they got Glasnow and Shane Baz, I'd have been like, okay, that's that's a good deal, you know? Yeah. But, you know, yeah. and if you told me, hey, you know, the Rays also got an outfielder in there, I would have told you, oh, you know, the Pirates let Travis Swaggerty go. I'm not going to yeah, tell you that. Yeah, it's a draw Dyson type yeah, outfielder. Okay. It's not Austin Meadows. Like, <laughs> that was, I mean, it's just insane that how that move yeah. went down. But uh, let's go to the starting pitching. We alluded to it, trading away a quote-unquote ace who was never very good against good teams, by the way. Uh, oh yeah, he. I mean, you know, you're a Red Sox fan. Yeah, he was. He was basically he big poppy's tea on big stages. Big poppy hit like 700 against him or something <laughs> stupid. It was it was dumb, but yeah. uh, one of the best pitching seasons that I've ever seen, and I got to see it a lot. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, was from Blake Snell. Blake Snell absolutely commanded the zone. Uh, there was a little argument at the end about his innings pitched. Why does it matter when he has a 180 RA? You know, uh, it, I think the I think that the I think it would have got a whole lot more attention if Jacob Degrom wasn't doing the exact same thing except better in the National League. But Blake yeah, Snell really had, in any other year, Blake Snell is the most talked about player in baseball. For, yeah, and Jacob Degrom, especially in that division with so many hitters' parks, and then two of the best offenses in baseball. That's an incredible. And pitching well against them, it's not like the bad games were against them. I mean, yeah, he. Whenever there's not very many pitchers in baseball, when we face them, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a rough day, you know. Or you know, when you look at the series preview and you know, oh, you see Blake Snell there, you're like, okay, mm-hmm. probably not going to win that one, you know, depending on who the our starting pitcher is. But yeah, and despite having guys like James Shields, David Price, Chris Archer. You never had that guy who people nope. feared. I mean, as a Red Sox and Yankees fan and, and fans around the division, even with the or they always thought, okay, that's their best pitcher, but they can still win it. Yeah. If you go against Blake Snell, you're thinking, okay, they've got the upper hand in this one. Without a doubt, they've got the upper hand. And this is the first time, despite all the pitchers we just mentioned, this is the first time that they actually have that guy. And, you know, you used to look at Tampa and be like, okay, you know, their best pitch, that's their best pitcher, but he's a three. You know, if we want to go back and we want to look at, you know, quote unquote, big game James Shield to his greatest (laughs) contribution is being traded uh, Traded. from, yeah, from the from the Padres to get Fernando Tatis Jr. But that's one of the wilder trades in baseball history. Blake Snell is an ace. Chris Archer was not. Chris Archer was a two, a three at best. You know, you flop, you get somebody who can help this rotation in Tyler Glasnow, who didn't actually start last year until he got to Tampa. Another guy, like Austin Meadows, once he gets stability, once they let him know that he is going to get starts and be in this rotation, I think that he's going to be really good. Uh, what's kind of the thoughts on Glasnow? Yeah, I, I think with Meadows, 
I think what we talked about with him being more consistent, he kind of has to look over his shoulder at Garcia, who they brought in this offseason, who's so. a, a major league, yeah, who's a major league player and is a very good one. It's a very serviceable major league player who can carry the load, you know, each game. He's just a gamer. Although he only hit for a 263 average, he's a quality major leaguer. He has to look over his shoulder at that every day while he's trying to fight for positioning in a crowded outfield. Glasnow, they've already told him. Hey, we're sticking with you. They stuck with him last year. He had, a, he had a 4.27 ERA. They stuck with him last year. They kept working through some things. They have the best pitcher, pitching coach in baseball, I think, or one of the best. And, you know, he's going to get that consistency. It might get bumped down, sure, at, to the five spot if things go awry, but he's not going to see the minor leagues this year unless he just has a 27 ERA. He's going to be able to work through some things, and you can afford that with the Rays you know, we'll talk about their, the rest of the rotation going on, but they can afford to let him work through some things. And that's going to be very beneficial for him and also the organization moving forward, because it's not like this is a, a one year thing for, for him. He's going to be with the, with the Rays for a long time. You know, and if whenever people in baseball say Tampa, the knowledgeable baseball heads, the first thing they think of is change up. Any yeah. pitcher that goes through that system and spends time with that organization comes out with that nasty Tampa Bay changeup. We've seen it with Snell. We saw it with Price. We saw it with Shields. You know, we could we could go on for days, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think Glasnow having the velocity that he has and developing that Tampa Bay changeup is going to be absolutely massive for him. Uh, you know, we can talk about, let's talk about a World Series champion, a World Series hero even, uh, a guy that kind of followed time. the Andrew Miller mold. Uh, in 2017 except of course he was an actual starter Uh, Charlie Morton comes into this organization as you know a guy with a three RA last year and still had 200 K's but the thing to look at and I understand wins aren't wins aren't exactly something to look at but the guy doesn't lose games and I understand he gets run support yeah yeah I understand that he doesn't they got run support with the Astros but 15 and three is a pretty big deal yeah, and, and it wasn't all that he was benefiting off that Astros offense, for sure. He got some wins that were quality wins for him. But I think the most beneficial part, not just the the solid guy you can throw out there every fifth day to kind of stable some things, but off the field, he can mentor these guys like Blake Snell, Glasnow. You know, once you get DeLone and, and Honeywell back from injury, those two guys. And then even Jacob Feria, who had a terrible year last year after a quality 2017 he had a terrible year last year that sent him to the minor leagues and he never saw the light of day after that. You know, even he can at 25 have a bounce back season under not only the great Rays organization, pitching staff and pitching uh, mindset that we talked about, but also just having a quality starter like Morton who can just kind of take these guys under their wing. They haven't had that either in quite a long time. I saw Kevin Cash said that they're probably going to have three starters in two bullpen days going through the rotation. What was kind of the reaction when, uh, they started doing the opener from the Rays fan base, and uh, how did they kind of grasp that? <laughs> I think at that point, most Rays fans, okay, you already you look at the Rays fan base, and it's already a small pool, okay. So most Rays fans at that time, because they did it pretty early, around May, around May, if I remember correctly, about May twenty second, I think. Around that time, Rays fans still had not bought back into this team because they sold off in July and in February, Rays fans kind of exiled the Rays. And then they got off to a slow start in the regular season, which even further pushed fans away. And so by that time, the Rays fans who were were still actively watching the games and actively rooting for them 
We're just ready to try anything because nothing was was working at that time. They weren't winning many games and, you know, they just thought, hey, you know, what could hurt? It was obviously met with, uh, I think, a better reaction than what most fans bases would go through if they were the first ever to do this because the Rays as an organization have always been analytically based. (laughs) They've always looked at the analytical side of things. They've always tried to find that edge within the margins and I think that race fans reacted about like you'd expect that they're kind of, some of them were like, well, this isn't baseball. This is stupid. Some of them were like, well, Hey, listen, Brian Kinney said this, so it's got to work. And then there was a portion that were like, oh, who cares? Try, try to win a game any way you can. And you know, uh, when it came down to manager of the year last year and you looked at the guys around Alex Cora, I had to explain to a couple of Red Sox fans that Alex Cora is probably the least deserving out of anyone here. Kevin Cash did something that nobody had done to that point in baseball and absolutely turned around a team's ERA. You'd never seen anything like that. I mean, we haven't seen anything like that since Francona went to Miller for the long relief during the playoffs, and that's a completely different scenario. This is over a whole season. This is kind of playing the guinea pig. This is, we're going to lead the way. You saw it with Sergio Romo. And then Bob Melvin doing doing so much with so little, just like Kevin Cash did in Tampa. That was that was three of the best candidates for manager of the year that I'd ever seen. And, you know, I think Melvin deserves a lot of credit too, like you said, because the Rays first did this against the Oakland A's and he saw it firsthand. And instead of, you know, blasting the Rays for messing over his lineup that he made that day, instead of, you know, crucifying Kevin Cash at the stake, he took that, saw that it worked and, and started using it himself from time to in time a playoff throughout the game. season and in a playoff game as well. You're right. So, he, you know, he kind of said, okay, well, I'll see that it's a copycat league and let's try it out here. Oh wait, it works here too. And so I think that slowly, but surely we'll try to see more teams do this. But for some reason, every manager that says that they want to do it, like Bruce Bochy, who was the most surprising that wanted to do it. I never thought he'd want to do an opener. He talked about doing an opener and, and both Samarja and Bumgarner said, you know, well, we're just not going to pitch that day. If you try to use an opener in front of us. Okay, get, get over yourself. I mean, that's ridiculous. It goes back. And to if you the- want to go back to the basic win stat, Ryan Yarbrough got 16 wins last year. He does not see that number or even close to it if they do not use an opener ahead of him to get through that first, second inning. We also, if we want to look at the win stat, Jacob deGrom is nowhere near the Cy yeah. Young voting. So, I mean, I think Jacob deGrom killed the win stat last year. Yeah. Yeah, I think the wins have been stupid for a long time. Long now time. they've officially... Now they've officially kind of gone uh, by the wayside in in everyone's mind for the most part. But even if you wanted to make that argument still, sure, Sergio Romo doesn't get very many wins, who was the first opener they used. He doesn't get very many wins, but Ryan Yarbrough saw 16 of them. And he's not a guy, although he's talented, he's not a guy that could have gotten to that number without the kind of manipulation that Kevin Cash did last year on his days to start. So the three starters are going to be Snell, Glasnow, Morton, obviously probably Morton flipped with Glasnow. We're going to talk about the number two starter. Who are the openers this year? You know, it, it's funny. I, I I don't really know who they're going to throw out there. They could try. They could do anything. Jacob. Yeah, they, they could try a lot of guys. It's not, you know, the openers kind of, you know, fluctuating back and forth. Romo's now in Miami, so he's out. You know, you know. Of course, you have Ryan Stanek, uh, Stanek, who's going to be, you know, the main opener because he even has a a opener promotional day where he you get a beer bottle opener with his face on it at one of the That's games funny. for the Rays this year. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, it, it's it looks pretty cool. 
but, you know, so he's going to be one of the mainstays there. And then, you know, maybe a Chaz Rowe, maybe Pagan. I mean, those are kind of the guys that you'd want to see. And then you'd have Chirinos and Faria and Font kind of follow them. You know, you don't really need that many of them. They're kind of like setup guys. But I feel like it's part of the strategy. Oh, yeah. Like, we don't yeah, know who it is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it can be anyone. It, it can truly Literally. be anyone. And, and I mean, if Faria, if you, you know, deep bats, if you see that he's better actually in the first couple innings and then wears down, use him as an opener and then get him out of there. You know, it's for most pitchers, it's the opposite. For most starting pitchers, they're bad in the first few innings and settle in. But if you do have a pitcher like that, this is a great strategy to use to where you can just use him as an opener instead of a as a traditional starter. I will mention, though, that right now they're going to do three starting pitchers. I think there's a chance, though, that they could use one opener. And then once DeLone and Honeywell come back from Tommy John surgery, I think they'll be back by probably Memorial Day or shortly thereafter. I mean, those are two of the most you know, prized prospects in baseball from a pitching standpoint at one time. Uh, De- Jose De Leon was once a coveted prospect in the Dodger system, and Honeywell is still one of the best prospects in baseball to this day. I think once they come back, I mean, it's they're going to be uh, very much sought after for this rotation. And then if that's the case, you have some quality, quality guys, and you might only need one bullpen day a week, so to say. So kind of talk about Honeywell a little bit. We're going to go over Honeywell and McKay. And then we're going to talk about the seven, eight, nine guys, but kind of give me the gist on tell everybody what those guys are going to be. And when they're, you think they're going to be up for Brent Honeywell, you know, he, he could have been on this team last year. If he didn't tear his ACL as soon as pitchers and catchers reported, you know, if, I believe it's coming up either. It was this week or next week where it's the year anniversary of it. I mean, it was immediate. They reported the next two or three days afterward. He tore his, uh, you know, he, uh, I believe I said ACL before. I think he had Tommy John surgery. So, uh, you know, he got hurt. And, you know, if he doesn't do that, if he stays healthy, he's called up at the start of, the, of that start of last year. He's He was ready to go for that rotation. Rays fans were ready to see him, and it was devastating. I mean, devastating whenever he got hurt. I remember exactly where I was. It was, it was tough whenever he got hurt. And I think as soon as he's ready to get back, as soon as he has a few rehab starts and he feels good, they're going to get him to the bigs because, as I mentioned numerous times now, he was ready last year. So I think we'll see him by Memorial Day, if not a little bit after that standpoint. DeLone, he tore his uh, is it UCL, whatever you do for Tommy John surgery. He got hurt and had Tommy John surgery about a month after Honeywell did. So his year mark will be obviously a few months later, but he was throwing off a mound in December. There's a video of him being excited to throw off that mound again in December. So he'll maybe try to work into to a few simulated games this spring, see where he's at. I think that he'll be shortly after Memorial Day. Maybe, you know, if everything goes right, maybe on Memorial Day, about, I'd say about two or three weeks after that, he'll be ready to go into some major league action. And I think if they get these two guys, plus Blake Snell, plus Morton, plus whatever Glasnow can bring, you have yourself one of the best rotations in baseball. Yeah, and you do it without like a true, besides Snell, without like a true number two. You do it with yeah. just a bunch of threes, honestly, if, if that's what they turn out to be. But if you, I hate to break it to people, if you have a rotation with two or three fours in it, you're not going to win baseball games anymore. You know, if you can have, you know, five, three plus guys, that's one of the best rotations in baseball. 
Yeah, I think Honeywell has the only is the only one that has a ceiling of being an ace and a ceiling of being snail. I think the lone ceiling is a two. Glass now probably a three, maybe a two. But still, if you add all those guys up, plus Morton, who's just underrated, as we've said all show about everyone on this team, but who's underrated and a very quality veteran. Kind of t- tell everybody about left-handed pitching slash DH extraordinaire that is Brendan McKay. Yeah, Brendan McKay, yeah, they, they shut him down from playing uh, in the field. He's going to actually DH now, but McKay just has it. He's a serviceable bat, you know, at the plate, you know, not very good in terms of, you know, wowing you. He's not going to wow you. He's just going to be an average guy who, you know, could be beneficial if we're playing in the National League if they don't if they don't adopt the DH before he gets called up. You know, very beneficial there. A, a nice bat off the bench if he's not pitching. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be a, a true DH in the sense of when he's not pitching, DH him, an Otani type guy. He's not going to be able to be a, uh, a slot him in at DH every single day. But to give guys rest or something, sure, he can hit. But really, his 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 huge boost comes on the mound. I mean, he has some nasty pitches. His fastball's nasty. If he can stay healthy, which has been a bit of a concern recently with the two pitching prospects that the race have lost and a few other guys who are kind of lower in their system that they've lost, if he can stay healthy, though, he's going to be fun to watch. I think that his delivery's smooth. His pitches are smooth. Everything about him is smooth, but I, I don't think he'll – be in the majors until about 2020, 2020, 2021-ish, around there. So who's the 7-8-9 for this team? Like, if you if you were to think, kind of jump into Kevin Cash's head, which I know is an absolute circus, there's no telling what goes on that guy's head. He's thinking of new concepts for 2048 <laughs> Yeah, he's playing 3D chess point. right now. He's playing a game, like, that hasn't even been invented yet. Uh, what is the seven eight nine guy for this team? It's very interesting with this bullpen because you have openers. How is this team gonna go seven eight nine? Well, I think the the ninth inning, the the closer, so to say, is gonna be Diego Castillo. I think he's gonna be really your closer, which he had a three point one ERA last year and sixty five strikeouts and no game saved. But I think he's really gonna be the guy you turn to in the ninth inning. Although I think it'll obviously be by committee. Colin Porsche is a guy who who has a lights out fastball a 25 year old who throws from the left side i mean he's incredible last year had a, a sub one era and struck out over 100 batters and so far he's caught the eye of kevin cash since pitchers and catchers reported this week he's been a guy that he's kind of teased fans about and saying cash has about how good he is and fans are, are very much ready for him to come up i think he has a shot to be on the big league roster in week two of the season after you get through the preliminary stuff of, you know, service time and whatnot. Uh, I think that he has a chance to be on this roster quickly and maybe even opening day because he's just that electric out of the bullpen with a fastball that can top out about 92 on a bad day. So I think that he can be really, really good as a left-handed pitcher out of the bullpen. I think if they call him up, he's going to be your eight guy, maybe not again by committee there. And then the rest of your bullpen, it has to be, for the last guy, the three, Emilio Pagan, who's from the A's that they got this offseason. I'm not sure if I said his first name right, but uh, I mean, I think it's just Emilio, but, you know, okay, that's great. <laughs> he had a sub, he had an above four ERA uh, in 62 innings. He's going to be, you know, the guy that they turn to out of the bullpen and see what they can do. Again, he's another guy, although everyone is in the best shape of their lives and everyone is impressing right now, he very much so impressed in his first bullpen session today. <laughs> 